time to go back to school, even in Brooklyn. The desire to go back to school is B-I-G. From Brooklyn to the Bronx, Queens to the island, and even the second city, the Big Apple. As schools begin to go back across the country, two of the largest cities are planning to return, Chicago and New York. Tens of thousands of students are returning back to the classroom in September. We speak to a person who will be dealing with a fraction of these children via high school in Bushwick, Brooklyn. He's an educator, an education consultant, and more recently a podcaster who's getting ready to begin the academic year 2021-2022. Today, we speak to Dr. Sean Brown, principal of EBC High School for Public Service in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure Lighthouse production. We would like to thank our local title sponsor for supporting Interludes A1 Pestmasters. This episode is brought to you by our national sponsor, Montevia Coffee and Tea. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. Welcome to Interludes, and I want to go ahead and introduce a very talented young man who is the founder of Sean Brown and Associates LLC, and he's currently serving as principal at EBC High School for Public Service in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've known him for a long time, very talented young man. Welcome, Dr. Sean Brown. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Now that I'm talking to you, I feel happy. Everything else was gloomy, and now I'm speaking to you, so I'm happy. <laughs> and also executive producer Michael Womble is on as well. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing well. Good morning, uh, Dr. Brown. Good morning. <laughs> I feel educated because I'm in the room with two educators. Uh, Michael is also a high school teacher, teaches English. So that's that should be a fun situation. <laughs> um, but I got interested because of two things that happened. You started a podcast, but we'll talk about that later. But then you did a dissertation and got your doctorate degree. And I just wanted to know, it was called Black Males Matter, Educational Marathon Continues. Talk about what inspired this directive and what why, why did you make that the topic of your dissertation, especially during 2020? Okay. Well, I, um, I was born and raised in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Um, if you're not familiar with Brownsville, Brooklyn, it's pretty much one of the roughest areas in all of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've been through a lot. I've done a lot. I'm not going to incriminate myself here on your podcast. Please don't. But um, I've done some things. And um, I started to work with uh, uh, students or inner city kids um, at a very early age from about 1998, 1999. Mm -hmm. And um, it came from questions that I had about how I grew up and experiences that I had and feeling like I didn't matter or I wasn't important. Mm. And when you start your dissertation, it, it starts 
the creation of it starts way before you start writing. Um, it really was for me, uh, something that came from my heart. I've worked with a lot of students that have passed away that are in jail. And I wanted to write something that highlighted the great things about them, or even just to educate teachers on how to better serve uh, black males. And um, so that's where it came from. And it came from Nipsey Hussle's The Marathon Continues. Um, so I wanted to write something that was a bit catchy. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was uh, excruciatingly painful, but I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen you um, in action with being a principal and we're we're coming up on a new school year, 2020-21. And I want to just flash back to last year. How was it for you in, number one, parenting three kids during the pandemic and then administrating during the pandemic? How was that for you? It was the most difficult part with my children was watching my six, now seven-year-old um, not enjoy school. Mm -hmm. um, she started to burn out and, you know, we, we're social learners. We learn from, through observation and being in community, right. especially younger people. And um, just to see her in front of a computer for hours, there'd be times that she'd be crying. Um, her body would start aching. Um, she started, her heart would race sometimes because she was nervous if she didn't get online at a certain time. Mm -hmm. So that was difficult. Um, there's times I, tur I, I turn the computer off and I just, I do a lesson um, with her from the curriculum um, because fun. I wanted her to, to make sure and enjoy um, her experience. So that was difficult for her. The older boys, um, Jonathan, he's 13 and Sean is 15. Mm -hmm. It was difficult for them as well, but they had those experiences in K to five um, going throughout those different grades and being interactive with their friends and stuff to understand that this was temporary. Um, my daughter started to think she personified COVID and thought it was a person that was outside coming to get her. Wow. So she'd be like, lock the door, you know, COVID is going to get in the house. So it really messed with her. And, um, we had to explain viruses, but how do you explain that to a six, seven year old? Um, same thing as a, as a, as an administrator, it was, it was challenging because mm -hmm. my strength comes from proximity mm -hmm. and being around my students, being in the hallways, being in the cafeteria, going to basketball games. And I just felt like my superpower was taken from me, right? Like I'm not a computer guy. I, I just, this is just not me. You know me about like, I can't, I'm, I like being around people and, um, it was painful to watch a lot of our students just struggle psychologically. Um, they just, a, a bunch of them checked out. And what we had to do as educators is we had to increase our social emotional intelligence. I had to make a bunch of phone calls. I had to talk to a lot of parents. I had to really get into the fight with educators because even my teachers started to break down. Veteran teachers, that love education, strong people, mm -hmm. they just started to break down. And um, as administrators, my team, we just kind of jumped in and helped where we could. Um, and it's still, there's still some teachers that are struggling, really. Like I'm talking about uh, suicidal, wanting to quit the profession. Mm 
And we live in a society where when you talk about your your weaknesses, you look you're frowned upon. So it's difficult for an educator to tell their boss about how they're really doing psychologically because they get labeled. So um but we made it through. Um graduation was amazing. Uh we actually had our highest graduation rate last year. Wonderful. About 95%. Yeah. Wow. Was so that I'm in per- was that, that in person or was all online all online the graduation was the graduation was in person mm-hmm. um but during the school year we were online and we came in here and there we had like a flip schedule ah okay uh michael but um you, you said that it, it can be difficult to try to explain the virus to a six-year-old as we look around the country it seems like it's difficult to explain the virus to adults they seem to max some understanding of what's actually going on. Uh, district to district, you see uh, different policies. Mm-hmm. State yeah. to state, you see governors, uh, some of whom now have COVID, uh, want to enact policies in which their uh, students don't have to wear masks or teachers don't have to wear masks at school. Uh, What's what's the uh, policy there at your school? Uh, what do you think is a good idea and moving forward? Because clearly, it's better to have the students there in the classroom. It's better for them. It's better for you. It's better for everybody. So, what's going on there? And in- well, right now in New York City, they're wrestling with that policy about having a remote option. Um, as of now, I believe that. They want everyone to be in school every day. Right. And we're figuring out if that's possible in terms of space um, in classrooms. For example, in New York City, the most students you can have in classroom is 34. So if you program 34 students in a room, is it possible to have 34 students in a room with three feet social distancing, so on and so forth? So they're wrestling with that. Um, right now, the um, administrative union and teachers unions and the chancellor's office are all planning together to see what's best. They have, they've made, the only announcement I've heard of is we're all gonna meet together. And um, there's parents that are are asking for a remote option for students, for example, that have underlying illnesses where their immune systems cannot be compromised. Mm -hmm. And um, that's above my pay grade, uh, Mr. Wamble. I don't, I can't speak on it, but um, my idea is it might be beneficial for some students to have that option. It might be. So the option, that, that's fine. You know, there, you know, they've always been, I mean, if we're, we're honest about it, we just don't think about it. There've always been some kids who are enrolled in the district that don't actually attend the school. You either send, you send a, um, you send an advisor out there or teacher that visits them. They've always been, you know, a handful of kids. It's just not, they aren't in the classroom and, and districts have made accommodations for that. What I'm talking about is the mask. If you're going to be there three feet. Oh yeah. I understand it. It's not necessarily, some people think it's the desk three feet away from them, but then you hear it's like, it's mouth to mouth three feet, uh, which is a different way to measure. So when you look at it that way, does that with masks in New York or? Oh no, all masks. Everyone has to wear a mask. Okay, that's that's different than Texas. That's different than Florida. Yeah. 
much different. You have to wear a mask to get into the building. You don't wear a mask, you you, you cannot enter the building. And if you don't keep it on, you've got to leave the building. That's different. New York City is very strict on that. Okay, and, and this is not, that's not optional. That's not with no. some people wear it and some people don't. No, not, not from my knowledge or when I'm in my building, everyone has to wear a mask. Okay. Okay. Um, one other thing I just want to just raise because it's an interesting point you made. You, you mentioned your daughter kind of having personifying COVID and having kind of a difficult time doing that. Um, my daughter had the opposite um, experience where she did very well online uh, as a, uh, a kindergartner, but now she's entering first grade. And thank goodness she's had her, her first day and she's gone in and everything has been fine. But for a while I was worried about the fact that she did so well online and now she was going to have to, you know, enter the classroom. And I didn't want her experience of education to be, you know, to take a, a downturn because mm -hmm. it, it is so different this year than it was last year. And my question to you is, I think that there are, and I'm wondering if you do too, that there are lessons that we can learn in education from that very radical experience of the last couple of years um, that we should take and carry forward uh, in what we do. I mean, you, you mentioned talking to parents and having to talk to families and parents more so this past year than ever before. That sounds like something good. Like that sounds like a positive that came out of it that might, you know, be beneficial to carry forward in the future. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think students, for example, you just kind of answered the question. Like if a student comes into school in kindergarten and their first experience is being online, that transition is very different. That that there's a lot of different variables that now may negatively impact her outcomes because her first experience was online as opposed to a student who probably was in school before. And now when they go online, it changes. So when we think about personalities and how different people learn, um, I know students that don't necessarily like to participate, but they're learning and they're listening. Then there's students that they love talking, they love interacting, and that's their learning style. So those options would be great, right? Not just during a pandemic, but to rethink the way that we structure schools in general, you know, think about what's best for students and have parents have a part of the input as well. As a parent, you could say to an administrator, hey, you know, I think this online option during these periods might be best for my student. And, you know, probably on a certain day she goes in, probably on another day she stays home. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that can work as well. Um, so I think that's important. And in terms of the level of engagement increasing between myself and parents and everything else, uh, to your point, I do believe that parents were much more engaged than they were in the past. Okay. And they had to be yeah. because your child is in front of you and you're seeing things that you didn't see before. Right. So mm -hmm. when you can just send your child into a school building and point the finger at the school and say, well, you're not doing right by my child. It's different when your child is sitting in front of you, not turning on the computer and doing their work. It's right there. Right. So parents, parents have been, um, they've been great because they see now 
what we what we said about their children's behavior. So they're a little bit more humble and they participate a whole lot more. So that's been great. And you, you've started um, Sean Brown and Associates LLC. Congratulations. Um, I, I was very impressed with the website. And, you know, just knowing your background, I was thinking, oh, I thought he was going to do something with DJing. You are an educational consultant as well. But let me get to my question. As a consultant, you offer services that include culturally relevant teaching. What's the difference between culturally relevant teaching and advocacy of critical race theory? Okay. So I know in the news, critical race theory has gotten a really bad rap. And mostly it's people just making generalizations about something that they haven't studied. And when you, and critical race theory is a part of my theoretical framework that I developed in my dissertation. So I had some time to really, you know, examine what it is. And in layman's terms, it's a way of looking at the way that societies uh, or the world or, you know, different groups of people, the way that race impacts the way that we judge people. It started from law, right? Mm. And it was Freeman and Bell. And they were looking at the ways that race impacted the way that certain decisions were made in legal studies. That's all it was, is just to say, all right, well, this white person did this crime. This is the sentence that they received. This black, this black person committed this crime, and this is the sentence that they received. Let's look at the variance. Let's look at the difference. Let's analyze the patterns. What do we notice? That transitioned into critical race theory in education, mm. right? So they started to look at, I believe it's Gloria Latson Billings and William Tate in 1995. And he started to use that theory to analyze the ways that schools function in terms of race. And now it's being used, it's almost a, it's like a curse word now, right? But it's just a matter of analyzing how things are, how people are judged, how decisions are made, how policies are written based on race. And the reason that it's it's difficult for a lot of people to just to objectively listen to is because we understand the history of race in America. It's not a very nice history to discuss. And there's certain actors within that history, you know, that we don't we don't like to say certain things, but it's just truth. Right. What happened over 400 years happened. It's just like if we looked at um, another thing that I was looked at, uh, I analyzed was um, intersectionality, which looked at the ways that race and gender mm. come across one another, intersect and impact the way that we treat one another. Right. So as a black man, there's certain misogynistic, sexist ways that live inside of me as much as I love black women or white or whatever it is, it, it impacts the ways that I view women. I've got to be honest with that, right? I got to be truthful about it in order for me to be a better husband or a better father to my daughter. So when I look at how it's discussed now, it's, it's entertaining, it's media, it's fun, it's political, mm -hmm. but people are missing the concept. 
is just analyzing race and, and how it impacts our judgment. Now, in terms of culturally relevant teaching, the other uh, thing that's not true is we look at the teaching force. If you look at um, teachers, 80 to 85% of teachers are white females, right? Mm. And there's certain <laughs> things about different cultures that they may not know. Now, if a person chooses to just beat people down who do not know about our culture, that's okay. I don't know if it's effective and I don't know long-term if that's going to help anyone change. Mm. Doesn't seem like a very smart strategy to me. <laughs> what works for me is sitting down with superintendents, districts and saying, all right, guys, let's have a conversation, an authentic dialogue, no judgment, where we talk about race in the classroom. And so my work revolves around providing training for uh, white folks, black folks, brown folks, about how to properly uh, teach, educate uh, children of different colors. Now, if I'm being 100% honest, just like there are white folks who may have not the best expectations of black and brown children, I've also had conversations with black and brown folks that needed to work through some of their biases towards their own people. Absolutely, yeah. So it's not just about race, right? It's about class. So you have a middle-class black or brown person and how do you interact with a Sean Brown from a housing projects? Do you believe that he's going to get a PhD? And do you teach to that, really? So, are you those satisfied are the when you see, right? Or are you satisfied when he gets a C? You're like, right. well, that's the best you could do. Oh my gosh. Right. So yeah. those conversations are very difficult and it doesn't feel good. But in my time in having conversations with educators in New York City or Long Island, if you speak with people, with people, not at people, not preaching down to people, not beating people up with your knowledge, they're very receptive. Um, so I've had a good experience. You always have someone who, you know, they saw a YouTube video, now they know more than you. And you kind of go, okay. All right. <laughs> no reason to get upset. You, you, right. you saw a YouTube video and now you're a scholar. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I don't, I don't get upset about it. We talk through it. I saw that Samuel L. Jackson movie. I know, I know what it. I know what it means to, to uh, be an educator. You know, carry your bat, right? That's what you do. <laughs> so I, I, you know, Christopher Brown. I had no idea. You know, I, I, I had, a, I had an inclination, but really, the reality has hit me again this this year. I, that you, that you and I, unicorns. Uh, you know, <laughs> honestly. Um, my, my, I'll tell you briefly about my experience, and I, I just want you to to comment on on this part of education. So, um, I started a new school this year. Started at a new school uh, in the area that I've moved into, uh, which is I consider to be home. So, I started at the school. I had good good set of interviews. I uh, want to be there. I know that they believe in their students student body as um, majority of uh, African-American people of color uh, consistently send 
their students to uh, higher education, well prepared for that journey. Uh, and I came in and I talked to people and my second to third day where students were around, I had students just kind of gravitating toward my room, kind of finding me, checking in on me. They, and they said they were checking in on me and said, hey, Ms. Rommel, you know, you, you, you know you're the only black teacher here, right? And I said, I know now. <laughs> so, um, at the school and, you know, some of them seniors that were checking in on me because uh, they had never seen anybody like me in their school before. Whoa. And I thought, my goodness, wow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, expand that throughout education, throughout this country. And yeah. if you could, yes, I know from your consulting, you're going in there and you're meeting and reaching what is a need what is a need for culturally relevant teaching? But there is something to be said for students seeing someone like me and someone like you in the school. Can you tell us about that part of it? Yeah, well, studies indicate that black males represent approximately less than 2% of all teachers throughout the United States. What? Studies also indicate that um, the likelihood of black children graduating from college is increased by approximately 30 to 35% if they experience having one black male teacher throughout their entire education. Um, so the impact that we have is, it's beyond. It's just, it's an amazing impact. Mm -hmm. What comes with that though, is you're everybody's dad you represent the entire race. You are to break up every fight. You are to speak with every angry parent. And so turnover rates specifically for black men in schools is it's out of control, you know, because you walk in and you just feel the burden of, of everything on your shoulders. And um, I know for me, I've been an uh, administrator for 10 years or 12. And I taught for about five years and every year, every single year, I have to cut hair, DJ, teach people how to box, buy snacks, sneakers, cut hair. I have to do everything all of the time. And I love it, <laughs> but it is, it, it really does get to a point where you're like, man, this is not going to stop. Right. The other part of it is, you get cursed out the worst because you represent you represent that dad that may have not stuck around right so the, so moms come in and they they're teaching they they're giving me some new language right um and it's just a lot then the other burden is being respected for your intellect and not your strength in your voice right? You don't want to be a police officer, right? Respect me for my intellect, not just, you know, he's going to break up a fight. And um, I just want to encourage black men. The other part about it is, you know, and I want to say this to all the brothers that's listening. It's also not as difficult as you think it is, mm -hmm. right? 
all of those pieces are there but the joy i get from supporting my children yeah. it wakes me up in the morning yeah. i go to work happy it's a productive struggle that i love and i think too many of us as black men because of negative experiences we've had in schools we don't they don't want to step in a school for any reason whatsoever some of us have been labeled as special education students dropped out so that institute of education is a painful reminder of some of our first traumas so a lot of guys don't want to go in um so i just wanted to say that and also my strength my my secret sauce has always been the black women but they don't come and support you unless you humble yourself and say you need that support but um throughout my career i've always had a, a list of of black women that uh they straighten me out so and they've yeah. been and they've been teachers and other administrators and other people that work with you absolutely old principals uh shout out to miss Miss uh, Gray, that's my assistant principal. Miss mm -hmm. Lopez was one of my favorite powers. Miss Bradell, mm -hmm. um, the list goes on. Miss Shirley Edwards, she was the principal before me that really kind of coached me when I first got the job. Oh, and wow. it's just a bunch of women who, um, you know, they they looked at me and said, "You poor thing, you don't know what you're doing. Let me <laughs> come and help you <laughs> before you lose your job. Let me help you." So, I like I like how you stated that it's a productive struggle in going in and it's a joy because a lot of people in teaching and I'll, I'll tell I'll say this to my people that did like myself I taught high school for three years and I tapped out I, I got scared and was like I, this is too much how do you use what you've learned to encourage administrators as well as faculty and other teachers to just you know steer the course and, and stay in there and stay in the fight with the students because ultimately it's worth it for them to see uh, people like Michael, people like you um, administrating and teaching. Well, I think to be honest with you, Val, you know me. Of course. If a person says, if a person says that this is not for me, I say, hey, you know what? It's been great. I wish you the best. I'll give you a recommendation. I'll let you go. Um, I have a story of one student, one, no, one teacher. Um, I was working in South Shore as an assistant principal and the kids were just giving him a hard time. They were just, you know, you know, stealing stuff out of his classroom and everything else. And I saw the guy, I don't know where he was from, but he wasn't from New York City. One day I walked in the hallway and I saw him bawling in the staircase, crying his eyes out. Wow. And he told me that the students had stole a bunch of laptops and he was going to get written up for it or whatever it is. And um, I said, hey, man, um, first of all, I called one of the gang leaders. I'm not going to say his name. He knows who he is. And I said, listen, go and tell your little cronies. I need my computers back. It was going to be a problem. And sure enough, the next day they brought the computers back. And he's like, all right, Mr. Brown, I don't want any problems. But I had a conversation with the teacher the next day and I said, hey, you know what? Probably you should think about, you know, doing something different. Mm -hmm. And he was like, are you unhappy with my work? I said, no, I care about you. I, I don't want you to harm yourself. Mm -hmm. Think about doing something else because the truth is that teaching in certain environments is not for everyone. 
right? It's not. It is taxing psychologically. Mm -hmm. It's taxing emotionally. And some people feel like you're weak if you say, oh, I'm not going to teach. No, you're just, you're just, you just know yourself. Amen. That's it. You just yeah. know yourself. You, mm -hmm. you love yourself <laughs> and you know yourself and you, you just kind of go, Hey, that's not for me. So not, not every uh, environment is the same too. Exactly. Right. I, I have been in different environments and, uh, I've seen teachers in those environments and I know some of them just couldn't hang with where I just came from, you know, and they may have been at that school for 10, 20 years doing fine. But if you ain't left that school and went somewhere else, it might not have worked out. Yeah. So sometimes and, it's just a matter of where you are. That's what yeah. I'm hearing. The other thing is, see, see, key to what you said, key to what you said is that you talked to that, that gang leader and got your computer back. That meant you had a relationship. Mm -hmm. You formed a relationship with that person that went beyond whatever was going on in terms of curricula, right? To get yeah. to them and tell them, hey man, go go take care of this or else, you know, we're gonna have some problems. And he took <laughs> care of it. That young teacher did not, maybe was not capable of, or possibly didn't have the same personality to form that relationship. And if you yeah. can form a relationship with your students, then most of the time you're okay. Most of the time you're okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, absolutely. I think relationships with, with key people is important. And um, that's, you know, I, I, the other thing I was going to tell you about, and I, I didn't want to miss this point. What I was going to say is that in terms of, and he, you, you made a good point, Mr. Wamble, is that sometimes being in a different school is great. Right. I had one teacher who I told you're going to have a very difficult time listening to me as a leader because I'm a black man and it's just too much for you. I, I care about you. I want you to be happy, but you believe I should be the custodian or security guard. So when I tell you that your lesson isn't effective and you need to differentiate it a little bit, it's a lot for you to take in. So you need to go to this specialized school where a different leader is there that you can respect because you're not willing to do the work to regard me as an educational leader. That's a hard jump. It takes a lot of reflection. Whoa. So I wrote a recommendation. She's in a specialized school. She's doing great. So, you know, I don't, I don't say it. I, I can be confrontational. I won't even use the word confrontational. I'm honest. Yeah. Just honest, yeah. right? You, yeah. you, to to value, look at Barack Obama, right? Regardless of his policies and everything else, but he was like our excellence. He, he did everything right. People still could not follow his leadership because of the body that he was in. So you have to love people enough to say, hey, I, I cannot shut and jive for you. I've tried. It's not effective. You've got to go, right? Or I tell my, I used to, <laughs> my staff will tell you, I always tell my staff, if I'm not the guy, you guys get together and you let me know. And I'll leave in two weeks because I know my work. I, I know who's protecting me. I know who's guiding me. So it, it's a, in education, sometimes uh, 
you know, black folks, they get into certain schools and they start to believe certain things that just aren't true, right? You don't just have to be in that school. That person that's telling you you're not good enough is not right. That's their opinion. You don't have to leave your culture behind when you get into a classroom. That's not true, right? So those are all of the different things I wish people understood about education. And I think we'd have more people decide to teach, right? Because they'd be, oh, okay, I can be myself and I don't have to lie about who I am. On the other side, you don't need to be cursing people out, <laughs> threatening people. Hey, you know, you know, we go, we go off the deep end. Like if you get in, yeah, uh -huh. sure. We don't have to do that. You don't, you don't have to do that. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, Michael, did you have any more? Because I was going to flip to the podcast, but. Well, I, I just, I just want to just go back to one of the things you mentioned because I think this is. Uh, key um you didn't say it but i, I was going to make it real clear to people because as you said it is one of those kind of buzzwords that has become a pejorative in high school as a principal and and i know as a teacher we don't teach critical race theory it's not a class we don't mm -hmm. sit and try to indoctrinate kids on their view of the world in fact students are smart enough to understand how the world works they don't need a class from me about it i need to make sure that they can uh identify the adjective in the sentence okay that's my priority that they they actually do the reading assigned to them so if you could uh principal brown uh could you just just for once just one more time because they are being inundated with this kind of propaganda that's talking about what's happening in their schools. And, you know, I see these mask fights, fights over, we're gonna wear a mask, yeah. the same as fights on, you know, they're teaching our children this kind of doctorate in it. Could you just clarify? Um, I've never I've never taught critical race theory. I, I teach, I, I, I help students to analyze what's happening or what happened. So if we're looking at history, right? American, for example, U.S. history is a class. Mm -hmm. 400 years within U.S. history, what happened? Who was enslaved? Who were the enslavers? What did they do? Why? And that's it, right? I don't need to, and I don't believe, I, 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 you don't need to say much. The history is there. What people are arguing with is they're saying, don't even talk about it. Don't mention it. Oh yeah. Don't don't mention anything about that period of time. What happened with um George Floyd, right? What if that police officer had someone have basic conversations with him when he was young about race? Just basic conversations. This black person is a human being with people who love them. Mm -hmm. If they're taught that. If all races are taught just basic humanity at the age of four, five, six years old, when we get older and we get into conflicts with one another, it doesn't go to that extreme. See, the educational system is not com is complicit in what happens by not having certain conversations about race, right? And it doesn't have to be where you, you know, demonize a certain race and you uphold another race and these people are bad and that person is good. 
It's just a conversation. So when they get older and they interact with one another as adults, we're not quick to jump to certain conclusions, right? I have a bunch of white friends that I love. I consider family. I care very deeply for them. And we argue about some of these topics. We do. We go back and forth. The next day, we still love each other. We come to work, we give each other a high five, and then we argue some more, right? So I just think it's no one, you literally, you can't just go and teach critical race theory to students because you feel like it. One, that's kind of like, you, you can't do that. Um, there's certain governances that, uh, you know, provide guidance around what you can and cannot do. So I can't just wake up one day and teach critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Two, when you do talk about race, it's just being reflective about what's already happened, that has happened or what's happening now, mm -hmm. right? And just having a, an objective conversation about it. When you don't talk about it, you're also sending a message to black and brown children. You are not important. You do not matter. How you feel means nothing to me. So we have to find a balance in having those conversations. That's what I think. I believe that if we teach in history, deal with straight up facts, no mystery. Teach the student what needs to be taught, because black and white kids both take shorts. When one doesn't know about the other one's culture, ignorance swoops down like a monster. Hey, well, I was checking out your, and just to kind of go on a, another side here, your conversation that you were having with your son. Uh, the Sean Brown podcast, <laughs> you started this, and I think I giggled the entire time I was watch I was listening to it. What inspired you to start this and then to literally have that conversation, a critical conversation with your son on a podcast? What, what's, what inspired that? So what happened was um, <laughs> we were having problems. That's <laughs> the truth. Okay. And I was like, yeah, what is wrong with this guy? Like we kept going back and forth. And with my children, I don't do the whole thing where you have to be quiet and do whatever I say. Um, they can argue with me as much as they want, as long as they have evidence to support their claims. Right? So- You sound like a lawyer. That sounds like English class. Right. So, yeah. So if my son says, I want to stay up until 1 a.m., I'm like, okay, provide some evidence that it'll be good for you to be playing video games until 1 a.m. And he'll go on the internet and he'll look at, and he'll say, well, based on the lack of social interaction I've been having with my friends, the internet provides me the opportunity to have some interaction with my friends and help regulate my sleep patterns. I'm like, all right, well, I guess, okay, you know, so, um, so we would just be going back and forth and having these different conversations. And out of nowhere, I just said, you know, I'm going to record this and turn it into a podcast. Mm. Because one, I feel like a lot of podcasts, genera generationally speaking, mm -hmm. it's very one-sided, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, we're all on here having conversations 30, 40, 50 years old, and we have a specific lens based on our age. But then when you hear about podcasts about teenagers, you hear adults talking about teenagers and there's no teenagers in the room. Mm. They're not saying anything. They don't have a voice. They're, they're not able to disagree or say anything. And so my mindset was, what if I created a podcast between father and son where he has as much equity and he's able to speak just as much as me, if not more, it's becoming more of his thing than mine. 
right? Okay. And um, also, I just wanted to kind of nurture his passions and see like what he would want to get into. You never know, you know, like you plant a seed, you never know what happens. And um, it's been bringing us closer. Um, people call me and they say, well, you know, you know, Junior was right. So, you know, <laughs> and he's better than you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, it's been fun, man. It's just, and also I want uh, black parents um, to just have a different way of, you know, relating to their children, you know, spanking them and, and beating them and punishing. That time has passed. It's not very effective. So uh, I just wanted to model some stuff for parents. And it's been good. Actually, I have to record another one. I've been on vacation. So. Yeah, I was very entertained by the two that I listened to. And because I know you, I, I was here with my cousin. And she's like, what are you listening to? I'm like, I'm listening to my friend talk about his son real bad i'm not i i'm glad you felt i'm glad that you felt that your mother created you but you know what i'm not your friend i, I didn't create you for your approval and i'm like go. i know i know sean and this is hilarious to me and you know you you shoot it real straight with him and he's just listening to you and he's talking and i'm like this is hilarious Ooh. because i know you both <laughs> yeah that's my boy yeah so but if people wanted to get information about your uh, Sean Brown and associates and just to, you know, reach out to you. And then hopefully I was very entertained by the two podcasts that I listened to. Just tell me if people want to reach out to you, how are they able to do that? Oh, well, this, uh, my website is Sean F mm -hmm. Um, my email is Sean F Brown at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my boss is my wife. So <laughs> She, she's the one who made sure I got on this. She said, you need to call Valerie back. It's disrespectful. Seriously. Like, I love Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer is serious, man. People think, yeah, you don't know. You don't know. There's a reason she was straightening me out like no other. She just gives me a stare at this point. It's just, didn't I say? Didn't I <laughs> But um yeah, con contact my Gmail account, my um website, and um yeah, man. If if you're in a school district and, and you wanted some professional development and everything else, I'd love to do that. Um I do it for free. Um because I enjoy it. And the way that I present is totally different. Um it's couched in culture, music, movement, and it's um very unorthodox, it's very different. But it, I feel like um what has been traditionally use is not effective and so we have to do things totally different and that's what that's what i try and provide in terms of professional development and training yeah. how far do you travel as as far as the money goes all right all right all right my man okay because <laughs> i think we might need you in the midwest brother <laughs> I'd love to, man. And you know me, Val. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it. What I do is I bring the DJ set out for ah. my professional development. Ooh. I put on the house music. I, I do different things because learning should be fun. I will have a Zoom meeting jumping. I did it for my um, for a couple of uh, professional developments where like we started out and I was playing like Tribe Core Quest. And everybody was like, OK, what are we doing? And I'm like, this is what we're doing. 
what we're doing is we're going to rock out to this music. Then we're going to deconstruct some of the verses that we listen to. And then we're going to talk about how we can apply some of the music that we're listening to, to our practice as educators. That's what I do. And I love it. An intelligent black child. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Executive producer Michael Womble, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Sean Brown, for joining us. Dr. Principal. Of course. Listen, listen, Valerie, you have a a beautiful spirit. You have an amazing heart. Um, And and I just wanted to say this about you. People don't realize how much you've gone through Mm -hmm. and how strong you are. Um, and I could always tell, it's always, the strongest person is always the one that's just kind of grinning and smiling and just making everything about everybody else and, and serving other people. And that's what I respect about you. And that's why I got, and you know, I don't, you know, I don't like a lot of people. You don't. So, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I mess with Valo because you, you have a beautiful spirit. So thank you for inviting me. And um, if you ever need me, I'm there. Thank, oh my gosh, thank you so very much. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. This went on to what the masquerade should be and why they killed the Jews in Germany. Here is the reason why I'm so concerned because you must learn. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us as we break down the latest topics surrounding music and movies and politics every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble, original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by our national sponsor, Montevilla, the natural weight loss coffee and tea brewed with MTC oil and Ramon seeds. For more information and to purchase Montevilla coffee and tea, please visit linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia. Our local title sponsor, A1 Pestmasters, for all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. When you book your appointment with A1 Pestmasters, tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called Interludes. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website linktr.ee forward slash Pure Light Media. Interludes.